Today on CityCast DC, everyone is talking again about youth curfews in the area. I'm here with audio producer Julia Karen and newsletter writer Kayla Cote Stemmerman to get into that and a few other interesting stories from around town this week. Today is Friday, September 9th, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Hey, Julia. Hey, Mike. Hi, Kayla. How are y'all doing? Hey, Kayla. Good morning. We want to get started by talking about the bigger picture, which is a segment we do where we'll look at some, you know, single story that's been in the news and and the larger context that it explains. And today we're going to talk about youth curfews, which is uh, apparently a thing again. Uh, Kayla, why don't you walk us through what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. So this week, today, actually, Prince George's County is going to start enforcing a youth curfew for everybody under 17, uh, and it'll go for 30 days. And it's, you know, between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. on the week, well, Sunday through Thursday, and then Friday and Saturday, it's from midnight to 5 a.m. And... You know, it's been one of the deadliest months in PG County's history. So that's, you know, the reasoning behind enforcing um, this curfew coming off of a year where 400 of arrests have been of youth, uh, which is twice the amount of last year. So it's not unwarranted, a lot of people are saying. However, it might not be the most effective way to go about reducing crime in the county either. So there's sort of two sides of this story. And you have, you know, curfews have been historically used as a a way to contain, you know, black people to certain areas of the city or certain times. And it's really, it's very controversial and it's a very serious tool that um, they're choosing to use. And now DC apparently has also started using, you know, their youth curfew. They've been quietly implementing it over this this last month. And I'm I'm a little bit confused as to how anybody would know the curfew existed if they're quietly rolling it out. So that seems a bit counterintuitive to me, but well, it's it's technically on the books. They just haven't been enforcing it for a while. And uh, Correct. you would think you'd want to make a big show of saying we're going to start enforcing it, folks. Exactly. Like, you've had this law for however many years, you just haven't been enforcing it. And now you're just going to, like, very quietly roll out the red carpet of, like, hey, heads up, we're, like, enforcing it. I don't know. Does that work? Okay, can we let's back up for a second. All right. The backstory here is that in both these jurisdictions and across the country, crime stats and the perception of crime are way up. And government you know, is always going to be limited in what it can do. But this is a thing that, you know, you can do with some fanfare and make it look like you're doing something. What the county says, the county executive, Angela Alsobrooks says, is the first step is officers are going to, quote unquote, educate youth, tell them to go home. She sort of is rolling this out as, look, we're, we're here to help parents keep their kids safe. It's going to cut into carjackings and other things. In Prince George's County particularly, the county power structure is led by an African-American former prosecutor, someone who has to get votes in these very same communities and is probably pretty politically self-defeating to do something that is going to be quite as uh, dastardly as is portrayed by some of their critics. It's That's not to say it's going to be an effective crime technique, but I think they're at least aware of the justice downsides here. 
But Kayla, as you noted, the kind of issues are, you know, one, efficacy. Is this actually going to do anything to control a crime? And then two, can it be deployed with justice? Is it going to be, un- is it going to unfairly land on uh, some folks and not others? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, studies have shown that not only do curfews not usually work, sometimes they can actually increase violence. You know, this study in D.C. in 2015 showed that actually gun violence went up when there was a curfew imposed because these curfews created these deserted streets and these deserted areas that were perfect for gun violence. And they're they're perfect for criminal activity. The way to actually decrease crime in that case was to get rid of the curfew. So it seems somewhat counterintuitive that they would choose that as the first, you know, first means of getting rid of crime in the city. And it also creates a problem where you are creating more tension between police and law enforcement and DC neighborhoods, which is already high. Yeah, I was going to say, I talked to Eduardo Ferrer. He's the policy director of the Juvenile Justice Initiative at Georgetown Law. And with regards to efficacy, he said... So what we're really talking about is 10 carjacking arrests of youth a month. There are 89,000 young people between the ages of 10 and 17 in PG County. So we're creating a blanket policy targeting all of them to deal with 0.01% of the population. So in terms of efficacy, in terms of prevention, it is an incredibly blunt instrument, and that's not even taking into account the harms that result from increased policing. There's a lot of recent research that shows just how harmful increased police contact with young people, particularly Black youth, can be, both in terms of traumatizing them in the short term and as well as criminogenic effects in the long term. And also, realistically, are you going to arrest a young white kid who's out at night versus are you going to arrest someone of color? Like, it just increases the chance that youth are going to be more untrustworthy of the police, get into an interaction. Police don't want to have to babysit these kids anyways. And Eduardo's whole point was basically, I've looked at the literature And not only do these things not work, we should be investing in other bigger resources for these kids. But what's the answer to that question? Like, are they really going to arrest a white kid? Is there data to demonstrate that the answer to that is no? Well, it has been shown that the curfews are disproportionately targeted in neighborhoods with racial minorities rather than more affluent, whiter neighborhoods. Yeah. So, like, what happens if a kid is, like, coming home from a job that they work and the shop closes at like 9.30 or 10, which is not out of the realm of possibility of things that happen. And you have to walk home because maybe it's a couple blocks and it takes a little while because it's dark and you're trying to get your surroundings and bearings. Like, what happens then? (laughs) And you also have the issue where, you know, it targets homeless youth or those avoiding abusive situations at home. People who don't have a healthy situation at home are going to be the ones that are going to be out and going to be targeted for this. And that doesn't seem like a great use of this curfew. Yeah. I mean, Eduardo talked about things that would actually work, you know, investments in mental health initiatives, investments in the actual properties of schools, investments in teachers, as opposed to just being like, we're going to throw the police at it and hope it helps. It starts with realignment of the budget 
to shift away from deep-end reactive programming to front-end preventative and intervention programming, helping young people heal from trauma. Even more practically, what does that look like? It means our schools should have working HVAC systems. It means that young people should feel welcome in their school, not turned away for uniform violations. It means that we are connecting young people to caring mentors, coaches, teachers, therapists who can help them heal from the trauma that a lot of our young people, particularly young people who become system involved, have suffered. What we know is that our young people are incredibly resilient. And what we need to be doing is building on their strengths, not just focusing on weaknesses. Absolutely. Yeah. We're talking about all these reasons why it wouldn't, curfews wouldn't work, but what would work? Like what what do we want to see city the city doing to lower crime, right? Especially with youth. Like is that after school programs? Like, yeah, is that mental health services? Where is where is the data on that? That's what I want to see. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. All right, so I think that wraps up our youth curfew segment. And now we're going to get into one of my favorite subjects, which is gripes. That's the thing that unites us as a community and unites cities and regions. And uh, this week, everybody is griping, or at least talking in irate tones, uh, about a, uh, a story that made the rounds on social media last week when there was a video of kids from Landon School, which is an all-boys school in Bethesda with a reputation for being really sporty, jockish, who were on the metro, I guess en route to a uh, soccer game, and they were uh, being very loud. They were singing a song by Lil Baby. It contained the N-word. Depending on how you see the video, they were either saying it or not. But at any rate, this was really pissing people off on the train. And naturally, someone shot a video. And naturally, that video went on social media and went viral. And the school was quickly forced to react and said, this behavior doesn't reflect our civility code. And we're going to get to the bottom of it and so on. And it's been an opportunity for some good old-fashioned region-wide haterade about uh, elite entitled boys. Julia, as a native of Bethesda, you have some thoughts. I do. I just want to read Landon's civility code first, because I think that will contextualize what we're talking about here when we say we want these people to be, you know, men that are leaders in the future. That, that's the goal of, of, of boys' education is to make leaders out of men for the future. And I just want to read the civility code very quickly. Civility code states, I will regard and treat all people whether in word or deed, with respect and dignity. I agree to treat my relationships, school, surroundings, and myself similarly. I will not tolerate behaviors by others that run counter to the principles of respectful behavior and decency. Right? So clearly, if you're one of these educated boys at this very fancy prep school, 
you know what the N-word means. Like, you know how it's been used over the course of American history. And if you're on a train and you're singing it loudly, especially in front of people who are black, which apparently there was a young black girl on this train who was terrified of this, like, how does no one stand up or one of these boys stand up and say, you know what, like, this feels wrong. This feels like something we shouldn't be doing. They did. One of them did. I think I was reading and there was a couple of them who were like, hey, guys, like, hold it. Like, this isn't this isn't funny. And they got laughed at. The rest of the boys just laughed in their face <laughs> and kept doing it. So it's not maybe a blanket statement for all boys who go there and good for those couple that stood up, but obviously not an appropriate display of um you know, freestyle by a little baby. Listen, I didn't even know who little baby was. I'll be honest. Like, did not know this song existed. And like, I understand the idea that like, you want to sing a song, you want to get hyped for a game if you're going to a soccer game. I, I totally understand that. But I think you need to like, if you're one of these kids, and you have one of the most elite educations in the DC metro area, you know, what is appropriate and is not appropriate. Like, you know the N-word is something white people do not say. <laughs> and the idea that you're on the metro and you feel safe enough to do that and also know that even if you get caught, maybe something will or won't happen, I think just speaks to, like, the idea of what goes on generally in, in boys' private schools of, like, I feel like I can get away with this. I'm going to do it. Right. So, like, as somebody who did not grow up in D.C., like, give me a little background. Like, what what's the stereotypes about Landon? And, you know, does this match up? Is that why this is blowing up so much? Yes, they look the part. Not only do they look the part, like, I didn't even need to read the rest of the story to be like, this is probably Landon. Like, that is the reputation that this school has. Like, every couple of years, something of this variety comes out where it's a Landon kid does something that's inappropriate. The school poo-poos him, and then they don't really do anything about it. To be fair, like, there are some Georgetown Prep kids and Gonzaga kids and St. Albans kids and other private boys' schools kids that get in trouble, but not to the magnitude that I've seen around Landon kids. And I think the thing about stereotypes is that then then they become self-reinforcing. Yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Would people have passed that story around? If we can just assume that like young people are knuckleheads and young boys are, are probably even more likely to be knuckleheads no matter where they're from, and maybe uh, there's less consequence for it in certain strata of society. But uh, I bet you there's a bunch of people who passed that story around a little more excitedly because of the school that was involved. You know, which is not fair to them, but that's just the the breaks. And I do think in D.C. there's like every few years some sort of like demi scandal about you know entitled boys mm -hmm. uh, behaving badly. Uh, sometimes those demi scandals involve Supreme Court confirmation hearings. Oftentimes they're a little more quiet and small time. But that's that's the sort of reality of of where it is. I was surprised though reading the stories about it uh, that the school says forty one percent of the kids I believe identify as people of color. Um, wow. Which is, you know, certainly yeah. way more diverse than like the, again, the, the possibly unfair stereotype reputation would determine. Yeah. The school reprimanded them, but there was didn't seem to be any actual, you know, punishment or suspension of any kind. And it sort of got me thinking what the role of schools, you know, when students are not in school, how much sway can the school really have over their activity, right? Like, would it be appropriate for them to be, you know, reprimanded by the school for something that happened on the Metro? 
I think legally I for a private school, yeah, they can do what they want. Um, they, not only can they do what they want, but like I went to St. Andrews and every year they have this kind of study abroad trip to go to South Africa. There are kids from the Book Emotional Youth Group that come to D.C. We do sort of an exchange. It's really, really cool. And some of the kids that went to South Africa drank because the drinking age there is 18. That was not allowed by the school. And basically, they found out about it. And when they came back, they said, you know what? You're getting suspended for a couple of days. Like, you're just, you're not allowed to do that. Like, that's not okay. I think now that Landon knows that this is going on, I do wonder if there will be some sort of suspensions or some sort of talking, like, very harsh talking to's of, like, hey, like, you really cannot do this. I have yet to see that. I wonder if that'll be coming in the next few days. But I don't know. I'm not getting my hopes up. Well, that you're representative of the school, no matter if you're on campus or not, right? Especially if you're on your way to a game or something like that. You have your your jerseys, you have your your school uniform on, and you know, you're that's you know, you're representative of that place and you should respect it as such, or at least that's what they want they want to happen. I mean and there's also like uh got sort of a I hate to speak in such coarse terms, but like a business and branding thing that these schools oh, they, they are not for profit businesses, but they are businesses. And if people uh, don't want to frequent the business, that is in the long term troubling. So they need to maintain a public image of not being a thuggish, goonish sort of place. And and there's going to be some posturing and consequence in the name of doing that. I suppose that's that's as good a way as any of pushing social change. Anyway, let's talk good news. Julia, who's like who knows more about sports than uh, any of us, uh, uh, is going <laughs> to talk to us about. It turns out that Prince George's County, in addition to having a dubious youth curfew, uh, is also the home of uh, tennis rock star, uh, who uh, a lot of people maybe hadn't heard of before this week. Tell us about him. Yeah. Okay. So I'm really excited because Francis Tiafo, who is from PG County, is in the semifinals of the U.S. Open. He's the first black man to make it to the semis since Arthur Ashe, and he's playing on Arthur Ashe Court, which I think is the coolest thing possibly in the history of sports. Some background on this guy, because I imagine you guys probably don't know who he is. (laughs) And as the sports nut, I feel obligated to explain. He's 24 years old. He grew up in PG County. His parents came here. They immigrated to the United States after escaping the Civil War in Sierra Leone. And His father worked at one of the PG County, the tennis training center, like that big bubble that is like off of Route 1. And Francis would play there and mimic the kids that he saw there. He'd hit against the wall. He'd play against himself, that kind of stuff. And eventually he got really good and people noticed. They're like, huh, like maybe this kid should be playing at a higher level. He ended up playing tennis for DeMatha for a little bit. He went to Salisbury University on the Eastern Shore, played there for a little bit. And now he's like PG County's own like tennis rock star. I'm very excited about it. I know I will be watching the U.S. Open this weekend. Guys, are you going to watch? Because PG County's Francis Tiafo is going to be there. Let's have a watch party. Yeah, exactly. You've Let's hyped go. me up. <laughs> Good. That was the goal. Well, and also, it's not exactly been like a glorious couple decades for Americans in general in tennis. So there's probably a lot of pent up excitement. Right. Isn't this the first American since like 2006 or something? Yeah. Andy Roddick is, I believe, the last guy to make the U.S. Open semis. It's been a long time since there's been like an American tennis male 
superstar. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens. His semifinal is today at 3 p.m. against C. Alcaraz Garfia. So, sorry, guys. I will probably be having a beer, <laughs> watching the game while I'm editing. <laughs> well, so where are you going to watch? Like, do you tennis fans, like, go to bars to watch? Or do you just do it at home or at your at your snooty country clubs or what, Julia? <laughs> <laughs> Sure to spot some Landon and St. Andrews kid at a snooty country club watching tennis. I'll, I'll let you know. No, so I typically watch at home because I haven't found a bar that I can watch this at. If you are a sports bar in the D.C. metro area and you will be showing the semifinals of the U.S. Open, men's and women's, please, for the love of God, <laughs> reach out so I can go and I can watch Francis Tiafo today and watch him yeah. win. Please, I please, think please, we please, all please just show out. up and demand they they switch the channel you know Ooh, with our I sports like gear exactly all the, all the sports gear that i own which is nothing <laughs> <laughs> i'll i'll loan i'll loan you a, a fancy nike t-shirt and and you can parade around it okay, and call sweet. it your sports yeah, gear yeah, yeah. that's perfect. no man we joke about it being uh snooty but dc actually has a ton of tennis courts like wherever you look there's public tennis courts in dc and, um, you know, I think this dates from a different uh, different era, but it is actually um, much more democratic than uh, than the reputation would suggest. Yeah. I mean, ball don't lie. Right. Like if you're good at tennis, you can kind of make it anywhere. To be fair, like I play at the Volta courts with a friend and we're not on the level of like Serena or Francis Tiafo. Oh, really? At all. <laughs> but like D.C. hosts the city open every year. And that's like a primer basically for the U.S. Open. And like. Tickets are cheap. It's held at the Rock Creek Tennis Center. You get to see, like, big-time stars. Like, Rafa Nadal, I think, was there one year. Uh, Djokovic has been there a couple of years. Like, it's really cool. I would highly recommend going. But, yeah, ball don't lie. Well, I still think Julia would win our internal CityCast uh, tennis tournament. No I don't doubt. know. No I think doubt. Priyanka might actually be pretty good. She's a hardcore tennis fan, it seems like. She's got like, the arm, so. you know. She's yeah, Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you guys very much. I think that that's uh, we got to we got to hustle to get Julia out of here so she can go start drinking and watching tennis. That is all for today here on City Guest DC. I'm audio producer Julia Karen, and I'm newsletter writer Kayla Cody Stemmerman. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey, and our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. Do us a favor: tell at least one friend this weekend about City Guest DC. And I hope you have a good one. We'll be back on Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye for now. Can I just say that the Priyanka typing while we're doing this is fabulous ASMR. <laughs> I know. It's good. Right? It's so soothing. It's so relaxing. <laughs>